We got Ashton on the line here. What do you want to ask him? When did you determine that I'm not going to do that and then figured out who's going to do that? Yeah, uh, daily. <laughs> that's it. So that's a good, that's yeah. an awesome one. I think, you know, as you get clear about where you want to go, where your business is supposed to look like, what would make it more efficient? You do need to have those times where you sit down and evaluate your business. Who's in it? Are they in the right seat? Are we working as efficiently as we could? And when you do that, I think that's when you start to see those inefficiencies and as well, where we're wasting time. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Excited for today's show. We've got a couple of military veterans on on the line with us today. And if you're on the YouTube channel, one of them's in uniform. So head over and see Travis. But we got Ashton Lavaric and Travis Hill. So guys, how are you doing today? Doing amazing. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate yeah. it. Ashton, it was great seeing you. I think we saw each other a week, week and a half ago at uh, Raise Fest. Good seeing you and your brother. And incidentally, for everybody who's listening, we interviewed his brother a couple of weeks ago, and that podcast episode's already out. Ashton, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Brian. So Ashton LeBaric, I did 21 years in the military. I was a pararescue jumper for the Air Force, 14 or so combat deployments. But right around the end of my career, I kind of got together with my brother and he had lost a bunch of money in the stock market. And I was looking at a transition out of the military and uh, kind of put our heads together and thought we'd try this real estate thing out. Maybe that's an understatement. We went all in and we liquidated our retirement funds and bought our first small multifamily. That was 2018. And uh, since then, we've done about a thousand units. Nice. All multifamily got into like larger multifamily 2020. Got into syndications, raising capital, and then we got into Airbnbs as well. So mm-hmm. we've been uh, having fun with it. So it's uh, I'm since retired. My brother's retired from his IT job. Mm-hmm. It's been a heck of a journey. Yeah. Now he undersells himself a little bit. I mean, pararescue is, is kind of like the elite force of the Air Force. Is that considered special operations? It is. Yeah, yes. it is. I was a PJ attached to SEAL teams and special forces teams at the tier level. Yeah. I got to do some really cool stuff. Yeah. We're not going to go into that today because that's not what the podcast is about, but just for everybody to, to understand, you know, what he did is, is kind of a big deal. All right. We'll just leave it right there. He wasn't a Marine, so he wasn't that great uh, is, is, is the other thing I'll say, but so progress, you liquidated your retirement funds. And incidentally, there's the check from TSP to me right there. That's was just cashed last week, did somewhat similar myself. So that said, Getting started, what were some of the challenges you had going from, you know, being an elite operator in in the military to multifamily? Yeah. So, you know, in the military, (laughs) there's a system for everything. Mm -hmm. You have a checklist for everything. People have gone there before you, done it all before you. And for some reason, that did not carry over. No knowledge of that, that other people have done it, that there's ways to scale, that there's ways Mm -hmm. to be more efficient with it. For some reason, right off the bat, my brother and I kind of took this attitude that we had to figure everything out. 
Mm-hmm. We stumbled through successfully through our first small multifamily yep. and raising capital for that and closing rehab and refinance and then uh, getting in off the ground. Yeah. We were like, man, there's got to be a better way. And really that's what it was, was learning to leverage other people yeah. that have the skills that have done it better or before us that have the knowledge, leverage them, leverage other, other capital, all mm-hmm. that, right. To be able to scale, to be able to actually be efficient and uh, not only yeah. do one deal a year. Right. So that yeah. was a big one for us. You know, something very similar in my journey is when I first started out, I had the idea that I had to do it myself as well. I had the idea that I had to have like a five plex or an eight plex before I started syndicating. That's the route I was taking. And eventually, I think luckily for me is I found somebody that said, no, no, let's, you know, let's do this smartly, you know, and I, I started leveraging other people as well. And that was, that was an absolute key to me as well. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So first project you guys did by yourself cashing out your retirement. How did you guys progress from there? You know, deal sizes and and structures. We had one investor. This was somebody that wanted to invest in real estate. And this was kind of the catalyst for us. It was kind of like the light bulb moment as we did these deals. But we knew that economies of scale would make more sense in multifamily. So we were buying small multifamily at first. Mm -hmm. We had one investor and we just kept doing the Burr method on these small multifamily. But then at one point, my brother's wife, who had quit her job to come in as do the accounting, she's like, Hey, how come, you know, we did a 13 unit and she was kind of like, Why do we keep doing these duplexes? So we did a fourplex, duplex, duplex, a five, and then a 13. And then on that 13, she was kind of like, Why do we keep doing these duplexes if it's the same amount of work? And we're kind of like, Yeah, why do we do that? And uh, the risk profile goes down with the, you know, with the increase in units, the uh, economies of scale are better. The price points are better. The loans are even better when you're starting to get into commercial loans. That was kind of that moment. We had that, that light bulb and we went yeah. and did our first syndication. It was a 16 unit in Fayetteville, North Carolina. That's when we really started focusing on working with other people, mm-hmm. building a brand around what we were doing and scaling. So after that, we did an 82, 120, 384, yeah. 92, 300. Uh, so we've done all because of that strategic yeah. partnerships with both passive investors and active investors. Yeah. Now I'm um, going to make some assumptions. I love how this played out. You know, you and your brother are just rinsing and repeating the same thing. You got, okay, we got our methods. You ended up stretching a little for that 13 unit and it took somebody else who's looking at your numbers to point out, wait a sec, you guys are making a lot more here. And it's the same amount of work. You know, I I love that. Sometimes it takes somebody else to point that out to us. And I just mentioned the same thing to me. I I thought I had to do that same thing you guys were doing until somebody said, no, you don't. You know, sometimes it takes that extra person. I love that you you pointed that out. In your scaling, you talk about, you know, leveraging other people. You know, how did you find other people? How did you leverage other people? And how did that translate to growth? Yeah, that's a good question. At first, it was unintentional. We were really excited about what we were doing. So we were talking about it with everybody. And then we read this book, Building Your Story Brand. Mm-hmm. And it's a great book if you're building a business. But it's all about that. It's building your brand so you can yep. identify who your target client is, who your target partner is, whatever that may be. Yep. And that's where we started. So at first, on our 16-unit syndication, we were really happy. We did our first syndication. We started talking about it with other people. We were in other yeah. networks. And people reached out to us like, how did you do that? What did you, what did you do for this, this, and this? You know, And some were learning from us. Others were just quietly watching. Well, then somebody reached out. We'd been talking to him for about six months and he reached out and he said, hey, look, I'm about to do this. He was working on a 300 unit in, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And he's like, 
you know, I love what you guys are doing. We get along great. I, I was wondering if you guys would like to come in as co-GPs and help us close this. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I were like, let's talk about it. And when we got in our yeah. meeting, we're kind of like, what are we waiting to talk about? This dude's <laughs> a great guy. We love, we love where he's going. He's going the same place we're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we partner with them? That's what allowed us to scale that fast. But then it was also just getting clear about, you know, where we want to go in the business and who do we want to partner with? And that was all because we built that brand. You know, yeah. you, you get clear about it and build your brand around it and you will attract the clients, the people you want to work with, all that. I'm glad you bring that book up, you know, and uh, shame, shameless plug. We have our uh, like a book of the month club type thing. I mean, that, that's not the best way to say it, but once a month inside the tribe, we pick a book, we read it and we all get together and talk about it. That's our book for this month. So now that you mention it, I've got actually eight days to, to finish reading it because I'm, I'm a little behind on that one. So <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the book because now I will actually read it. Appreciate that. Building your story brand and it's exactly what you guys did. And I, the other thing that I like about it is when you guys came together, you know, like, what are we waiting for? Let's just do mm-hmm. this. No discussion. It's like, this is a good deal. Great opportunity for us. Let's do it and figure out everything else later. So right now, I think you said you guys have, were around a thousand assets under management or a thousand yes, units we, under management. Okay. We've since sold uh, about 400 actually. Right. Last year was a great year to sell. <laughs> great year to sell. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah, We were actually closing on a sale. I just got a text and I'm not sure when I'm going to do this, but got a text saying where the lender's pushing to close tomorrow. You know, can everybody get their documents signed, notarized, and FedExed in? And I'm like, it's 1.30. Jeez. Yeah, I didn't have anything to do this afternoon. But so yeah, we're closing on something tomorrow too. But that's that's going to be fun. Let's talk about uh, in a little bit of detail about one of these deals and hurry up and get over to Travis. So tell us about one of the deals you've done. Pick your first, your favorite, and give us kind of some of the wave tops of type of stuff you guys look for and what you do. We started off doing looking for distressed properties, value add. We like the value add model because I feel like it insulates us better from the market. If we had to turn around and sell because it didn't cash flow or whatever, we wouldn't lose any money because we've added value by forcing the appreciation, by rehabbing it, increasing rents, decreasing expenses. That was our model from the get-go. And we kind of learned that from other guys ahead of us, uh, Michael Blanc, Joe Fairless. We were reading their books, listening to their podcasts. I'll go with our very first one because we knocked that one out of the park and we did not think we were going to. In fact, we almost thought we were going to lose it because we closed on that one January 2020. And mm-hmm. if you remember, <laughs> oh, yeah. in March yeah. or April, everything right? shut down. Exactly. Yep. yep. And then so things shut down. People decided that they had COVID or whatever were affected by COVID and didn't have to pay rent. And so we started to panic. We had about 25 investors at that point, you know. And so this is our first foray into having working with other people's money to buy a, a bigger complex. Luckily, we had taken some lessons learned from our 13 unit and some other properties we'd done. We leaned heavily on a good boots on the ground property management team. He went in and he was like, yeah, this isn't a problem. We'll just get these people. I'll fill out the paperwork. We'll get them to sign and the government will pay their rent for a period. So we lost a couple months maybe of rent and we're pulling our hair out at first. But after that, it smoothed out. The rehab, the improvements went into place and we started turning these units. Next thing you know, he's telling us we had put in our pro forma. I think it was like, I don't know. I need my brother here to remember this, but I think it was like 800. We thought we could take it from 550 a month to 800 per unit. Mm -hmm. He got them up to like 950. And we turned around and sold that in 2022. We bought it for 950 Mm -hmm. and sold it for 1.8. Yeah. 
Yeah. So almost doubled up over your purchase price. And obviously that makes a, a pretty good return for your investors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, COVID, I mean, that that was a curveball a lot of people weren't expecting. You know, we had a couple assets in COVID that didn't perform as well as we wanted to. And, you know, fortunately the, the market did what the market did, you know, hard to prepare for a pandemic. Hey, Ashton, now we're going to switch gears here and talk about something that I, I love bringing up with everybody. And it's about your why. So what is your big burning why? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that question because I read a couple of books on figuring out your why, and I never could figure out my why until much later in life. But you know, that's probably how it goes anyway. You have to go through those experiences to yeah. figure out uh, what you truly want out of life, right? Because mm -hmm. only by finding out what you don't want, you figure out what you do want. <laughs> Yeah. So I'll tell you what my burning why is now. And then I can kind of tell you how I got there because it's probably a lot bigger. My burning why is to be, and this is going to sound crazy, to be a man. And my definition of a man yeah. is, you know, the provider, the pr protector, the, the guy that's paving the path for humanity, right? If you look at everything great that has ever happened, there's always been a male and a female, but it's always the man that's, or the masculine, if you will, if you're taking, we keep genders out of it, but the masculine is always the protector, the provider. They're leaning out and forward. They're moving progress in civilization is made by people that are doing this, right? Mm -hmm. To do that, we tend to take on more risk. We tend to take on more bigger and bigger projects. And that's when men feel the most alive. And that's when you feel the most like a man, like I'm out there, I'm doing it. When I was in the military, it was the same thing. Every time I'd get to a unit, I was like, what's the next thing I could do? The next hardest thing I could do. And so I'd go apply for that and I would, I would get that certification. Then I would go to this other unit and then I would go to this war and that and whatever. And it was always leaning out front, trying to become better. And I feel most alive when I'm doing that when I'm growing, when I'm pushing the needle, when I'm leaning out front and, and being in front of my family and paving the way. And so for me, it was freedom. It, it's freedom. It's being a man. And that's what being a man is, right? Mm -hmm. Being there for my kids, being there for my wife, right? Being there for my country and not just being there. I'm not just showing up every day. I'm excelling, right? Like mm -hmm. both health, wealth, happiness, all that, all those realms that we love to, you know, I call them gardens that we love to, to grow or, or groom our, these gardens of our life. So for me, that's what it was. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of it stems from when I was a kid, my father took off when I was young yeah. and uh, being raised by my mom and then her remarrying that it, it struck a chord is like, I, I had to be the, the oldest male in my family for a little while until my stepfather came. And even then, you know, it was a struggle. And so yeah. for me, it, it's really that it is that it's paving that way of freedom for my kids, for our nation, for our offspring. Right. And I think a lot of people look down on money, but that is one of the best ways you can do it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you want to go into the woods and pray for humanity. Great. But go make 10 million and be able to actually make an impact with money. Wait, yeah. why not? Right. That seems a lot better, a lot more rational, yeah. makes more sense to me. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, money, money makes the, the world move around, but I mean, it sounds like you just, you want to move the needle in, in all aspects mm -hmm. of your life, you know, move. Yeah. move yeah. Be one of those people that, that really does move, move that needle. All right. Last question for you. And then we'll bring Travis on what's next. Yeah. All right. So for the business, we've launched a one of the struggles we had when we first got into apartment syndications was there's not a lot of cash flow for the mm -hmm. general partner at the beginning. So yep. that's when we tapped into Airbnbs and we realized you can make pretty decent cash flow off mm -hmm. of one to two Airbnbs. And so we kept getting a lot of military leaning out, asking us, you know, how did you get into real estate? And we tell them our story, how we did our first deal and only made $300 a month on that deal. And that's how we started, but mm -hmm. we still had W-2s to support us. But if you wanted to do it a different way, you could go acquire two, one to two Airbnbs and make a hundred, 150,000 a year 
off those Airbnbs. And so what we did is we put together a video course just mm-hmm. to sh- show people how to do that. Yeah. So we have that. We're continuing to syndicate apartment complexes. We're closing out a 300 plus unit in Houston, Texas this yep. February. We'll be looking for our next deal shortly thereafter. We'll continue to you know, work down that way. I think we might actually launch another course after this Airbnb course and show people how to raise money, how they can partner to buy these properties if they don't have the startup capital. And we also started a, a fund for people to diversify into real estate through the fund. So and then, yeah, like I said, we're moving to Costa Rica this summer because we can and because, yeah. you know. Now, we being just you and your wife or is Chris and his wife headed too? No, me and my wife. Me nice. and my wife, my two little girls. My wife's Hispanic. We love Costa Rica and there's a great Country. expat community. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only four hours from Texas and Miami. So, you know, it's easy. <laughs> Beautiful area of the world there. So, yeah. well, cool. Hey, thanks a lot for sharing that. Okay, so switching gears, we got Travis here as well. Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Super stoked to be here, man. Awesome. Good to have you on the podcast finally. I mean, we've known each other for for a good two (laughs) years now, and I finally got around to asking you. So do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an active duty Marine based Mm -hmm. on what I'm wearing. I'm stationed out here in California. So yeah, based on what he's wearing, active duty Marine. We got you now. Active duty Marine, and uh, I'm a, a future multifamily investor. Mm-hmm. And I have been fortunate to be an LP in a couple of different deals. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first met Ashton and his brother, Chris, through investing with them. And, you know, currently have a small portfolio of single family and residential multifamily in Milwaukee and Cleveland. Nice. And familiar with some private lending. And yeah. my goal is not to have a W2 job and I retire. And I'm doing it all through real estate investing. And I love it. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Sounds like something I did once upon a time. So yeah, uh, not have a W-2 job. That was that was my goal. And, and obviously that's something we share. So let's talk about your why. You mentioned the W-2, but you know why is that important to you? Why do you not want to have a W-2? Why multifamily? Like Ashton talked about, it's the economy of scale, right? Yeah. If I'm going to do the same amount of work for a duplex, why can't I do it for a hundred unit? And yeah. my big burning why is because I want optionality. I love service. I love giving back to the community. One thing that I'm excited to do is give back to local and and abroad communities, whether it's teaching English in Indonesia or uh, I love jiu-jitsu. So maybe I want to go roll jiu-jitsu and teach English in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And maybe I go clean up a park up in uh, Tahoe for six months or seven months and I get to Mm -hmm. hang out, you know, and and work through different church churches and schools and and, uh, maybe one step down from the Peace Corps, but that's what I yeah. want to have. And I know that it's a real estate and, and all of that can make that happen. Yeah. From the Marine Corps to Peace Corps. Don't see that often, but love it. Love it. And yeah, I mean, service service has been a big part of my life too. And I very much admire you for, for the things that you do. So that said, without further ado, we got Ashton on the line here. What do you want to ask him? Ashton, as you were building your brand and you were scaling your business, how did you deal with imposter syndrome and like those limiting beliefs? Yeah, I love that question. I'm a huge mi- mindset fan. I think uh, plays into everything we do. What I got in the habit of doing is figuring out what is my inner dialogue, first off, because imposter syndrome, it just merely means you have an identity in your mind of who you are. Now, that's just a bunch of beliefs that we continue to think over and over and over. Mm-hmm. If I stop thinking or believing in those thoughts, that is no longer my identity, right? That's a simple way of putting it. I think also, if we understand that there's fixed mindsets and growth mindsets, fixed mindsets tend to think you are what you are, and that's what you will be for the rest of your life. I am scared of spiders. I am scared of heights, right? 
but I don't have to be. I don't have to be. Other people aren't. Why should I? Right. So that's the first place I started. And I realized this a lot going through the selections I went through in the military. People come to these selections with a set story in their mind and they tell that story over and over. I'm not good at running long distance. I'm not good at swimming. I'm not. And then it becomes this inner dialogue until they quit, until they fail, until they get injured. One of the two, one of the three, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So I think that imposter syndrome is first understanding who you you think you are. Mm-hmm. And then I also challenge people to lean out into the future. I find that successful people lean into the future and they their identity isn't shaped about what they've done in the past, who they were in the past. It's more around their potential in the future. What can I be in the future? What can I do in the future? That's the guy I want to be. That's where I want to go. And if you have your vision of the future with a very strong why, as as Brian said, as you were talking about a minute ago, with a purpose, you're unstoppable. Like one of the strongest whys in the history of our nation was right after 9-11. Like people had purpose. How many people joined the military because of 9-11? We had a very strong purpose. I'm going to eat MREs for the next 120 days just so I can serve my country and protect my nation. You know what I'm saying? That's a strong why. Now you shape that why you shape that purpose around making money around serving other people around whatever that may be, man, you're going to be unstoppable. And that identity that makes you feel like an imposter won't even matter because your purpose is so much more important than that anyway. I think there's a great quote. It says, there's no such thing as people that are fearless, right? Courage is just the ability to make something more important than fear. And that's what this is. That's what that is. Your identity, you're making your purpose more important than your identity. I realized along the same thing, my last deployment when I was active duty was uh, 2016, 2017. And somewhere along that deployment, I had, had a lot of time to think. And I realized that the way I identified myself was going to cause me problems in the future. All right. I identified as I am a Marine, which I think most Marines is kind of beaten into us at boot camp. But I started realizing that, you know, eventually I'm going to transition. Eventually I'm not going to be active duty anymore. And, you know, I, I think I, fortunately I started, I mean, maybe to my, my future boss's chagrin, fortunately, I started disassociating myself with that identity. You know, it's still part of me. I can't get, you know, it's not something that I want to get rid of, but I started working on how do I want to identify myself? And a lot of the same thing that Ashton said, you know, for me, it was, it was a couple of years of exploration. How do I want to identify myself? And something that's helped me, I think more than anything else is, you know, Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, you know, sitting down with my affirmations every day. And these are the things that I want to do. This is who I want to become. And that's really helped me with the imposter syndrome of, am I really this person that I'm putting out on LinkedIn? Am I really this person that can do all these things? Well, yes, yes, I am. And every morning I think about that. This is who I want to be. This is who I am. Here's who I'm becoming. And I'm working towards that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we think of that now as a big deal, like especially military members transitioning out, like their identity is shaped around the military time, but there was a time they were not a military member and somehow they saw themselves in those shoes. And that's why they went and applied and signed up and, you know, went and did their job. But no, hundred percent. Yeah. I appreciate that. There's a, I'm familiar with uh, the miracle morning with Hal Elrod. I I still employ that. I think I need to reevaluate or I should say re-engage more or, or, yeah, deeper with my affirmations 
And I like your uh, courage quote there, Ashton. That makes a lot of sense. Very, very relevant to me. Next question, I think, is how did you determine or when did you determine that I'm not going to do that and then figured out who's going to do that? Yeah, uh, daily. <laughs> that's it. So that's a good, that's yeah. an awesome one. I think, you know, as you get clear about where you want to go, where your business is supposed to look yeah. like, what would make it more efficient? You do need to have those times where you sit down and evaluate your business. Who's in it? Are they in the right seat? Are we working as efficiently as we could? Is everything working as smoothly as it could? And when you do that, I think that's when you start to see those inefficiencies and as well, where we're wasting time. One, a really cool trick I picked up. I can't remember who I picked this up from was it's a time audit and I would go through my day and it's like every 30 minutes, what am I doing? Right. Mm -hmm. And if I spend two hours editing videos to put online, like, Hey, I need to get somebody else to do this. Like I should be out there forming, you know, relationships and, and, and raising capital and closing on deals. Like I shouldn't be trying to figure out how to put the captions on a 30 second video, you know? So, um, that's, that's where it is. Right. And in the military, you kind of, forget that. We do have people working every single job. And so you forget that you can outsource it. Um, Mm -hmm. But when we start skimping on, oh, I don't have the money for that. That's when you get hung up, right? I would say, if you think you're going to need a VA in the next six to 12 months, I think you're already six to 12 months behind. Yeah, Um, Because a VA will change your life. All of a sudden, your time opens up and you can actually do those thousand to $10,000 tasks rather than doing those $5 an hour tasks. Yeah. For for me, the, the the kind of light bulb moment was a couple months after I started the podcast and I was editing every episode <laughs> of the podcast. And for a 40 minute episode, it would take me two hours, you know, so I would spend probably, you know, 35, 30 minutes or so in finding the guests, lining things up, scheduling and prep time. I was spending like five hours per episode, you know, maybe six hours per episode. And that's when I realized you know what? I don't care how much it costs. You know, this is, you know, I was still active duty, still working 40, 50 hours a week. That for me was the moment where it was just like, okay. And first thing for me was a podcast editor. And then it was uh, a VA who could do the scheduling for me. And now I have two VAs. I have a podcast editor. Um, He's awesome, by the way. And I'm thinking about getting another VA because it's just like, there's so many other things that I want to offload. But to that point, you know, uh, one thing that I've been reading recently is the EOS series by Gina Wickman. And, you know, a lot of the questions, you know, are answered in there. Hire before you need somebody. Review things quarterly. You know, every quarter you review, do you have the right seats and do you have the right people in the right seats? So anyway, my thoughts there. Brandon Turner has a really good quote I heard once. And he said, uh, I don't have a house cleaner because I'm rich. I'm rich because I have a house cleaner. Because now he doesn't have to clean his house. He has the time and the freedom. Yeah. To do. Yeah. yeah. And we just hired a house cleaner. There you go. Yeah. It's not because we're You're... rich. It's so we can get richer. Right. Yeah. Next question. When did the members of your team, like, how did you identify the members of you, that each member of the team and their unique talents and abilities? And then where did you guys go with that? Yeah, I love that question because that is that is one of those nitty gritty ones. Like, if you don't figure that out, you're going to end up drowning if you're trying to build build a business, right? So, Brian, you just mentioned Traction. You mentioned EOS, Gina Wickman. That was our book. I mean, we read Traction inside and out. And we used to hold meetings with that book open, like reading <laughs> reading yeah. how to hold a meeting, you know. And then, but <laughs> yeah. they, have an, they have an org chart in there that helps you organize a small yeah. business as an entrepreneur, organize your business. 
And they'll also talk about what type of per- or what personality type should probably be in each one. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, going through selection for one of the units I joined, we used the DISC profile. And so we brought that into our assessment of our abilities and our personalities and aligned it with Gino Wickman's traction, uh, the book traction and EOS model. And that helped us really figure out who needs to be where and what they should be focused on. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about that is all of a sudden you're playing to people's strengths. So there's no hurt feelings. Yeah. For example, I'll give you a great example. I'm a visionary. You want me to do detail work, man. And if you expect me to do detail work, you know, I'll try, I'll give it my best shot, but you're probably going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And when you manage expectations early on, like, it alleviates so much stress within partnerships, within your business, within, and I'll tell you right now, we, both of our wives work with us, my brother and his wife, and then my wife and I, and that was a big part. You know, we don't, I don't want to bring that stress home and I don't want to, um, mm-hmm. you know, bring those kind of arguments home. So managing those expectations by clearly identifying roles that were laid out in a, in a book that, you know, he's, he's coached hundreds, thousands, maybe uh, of entrepreneurs. I think that was a big part to giving us the clarity and the structure that we needed for our business. Nice. I will say, you know, I I jumped into a partnership early and we kind of ad hoced it. Partnership lasted, you know, at least I lasted in that partnership for two and a half years, you know, but I would say that I probably jumped into that and we as a group jumped into that early. You know, it was, we'd probably known each other for three months before we decided to form a company and start doing lots of deals together. Yeah. I mean, I, if I had to go back, you know, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I think that ended up being the best thing for me at the time. But right now I'm a little more deliberate about assembling the team. I think it was the best thing for me at the time. And sometimes it's the best thing to help you get started, but it may not be the best thing for you long-term. That's how I look at my partnership. But yeah, we weren't we weren't necessarily aligned. We came together quickly, and I think it was evident, you know, a couple of years later that things weren't going to get better for us. There you go. I was like, I got a book report to to write. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So. So I don't have any more questions. All right. What's it like to be so awesome? That's the only question I got. Ashton, you take that one. Both of you guys. Both of you guys have that question. I like the model that. We got it from EOS. I got it from the Vivid Vision. I've learned it a lot from other people. I'm going to take your joking question. I'm going to make it serious. But, you know, like I think that people that lean out into the future and like, what do I want to look like? What do I want to feel like? What do I want to be doing in 10 years from now? Because 10 years is a long enough time to almost conceive of anything, right? I could get to the moon in 10 years. Then you really get to see where your limiting beliefs are, but also where you think your potential lies. And if you do that every year, all of a sudden you're going to see some big goals coming up and you're going to see some amazing, like, what do I want to be? I want to be this amazing husband. I want to be this father that takes his children surfing all over the world. I want to, you know, 2 million in passive income every year. Like you, like you can have these amazing goals come up and all of a sudden, and that's, and that's the catalyst for building that path to it. And it's exciting. When you start to think like that, it gets exciting. And that's when you know you're on the right track. And so I don't know that's a, yeah, that's my answer. Yeah. I, I struggle with that. You know, even with my miracle morning, I think the thing that I'm working on the most is, you know, what is it like to be awesome? You know, and I, I think that's a great question, actually, not maybe, maybe unintentionally, but I have big goals. I have goals for, you know, what I want to do with 
my multifamily career. And it's, you know, it's, it's a five digit number of, you know, units is what I want to get to. And, you know, I've, I've got a goal on what the tribe of Titans is going to look like my educational community. And, you know, eventually that's going to have hundreds, if not thousands of people in it, it already has hundreds, you know, it's going to have thousands of people that, that I can reach out and help. But the thing that I struggle with the most is sitting back and thinking, can I actually do that? You know, am I awesome enough to do that? And yeah, that's that's my biggest struggle is telling myself every morning, yes, I I can do that. I can do that. And that's that is 100% my biggest struggle is being able to to shape that narrative internally so that I can go out and do it. Anyway, well, we are about out of time. And so one last question for each of you, Ashton, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? You can always check out our website, uh, www.valkyriegroup.com. That's V-A-L-K-E-R-E group.com. But I'm all over social media, always happy to connect, help out if I can. Um, and, you know, love meeting other investors, new and old. So, uh, yeah, you can just look me up, Ashton Leverick on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Perfect. And we'll, we'll put links to his profiles in the show notes for you and links to the website. And Travis, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? You can find me on Instagram and uh, Travis Hill 1310. You know, I'm also on LinkedIn, Travis Hill. And uh, same with Ashton, you know, happy to help, happy to mm-hmm. uh, run by stuff, analyze some deals, look at some stuff, and um, just want to be a good resource and be willing to help somebody that's brand new. I know that I get. I still get a lot of people come to me in the military space yeah. and, um, you know, I try to get it on bigger pockets and just be a resource that somebody can be like, Hey, this is an idea what I'm thinking or I'm struggling in this area. What do you think? And yeah. you know, I have a mantra that says your success is my happiness. And I, and I really believe that. And, and the more that I can help somebody achieve their, their big burning why, mm-hmm. like life's a good day. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite quotes you just reminded me of is Zig Ziglar. He said, you can have anything in this life that you want by helping enough other people get what they want. And that's, I think that's absolutely true. But anyway, thanks to both of you for coming on the show today. Very much appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's really, really nice seeing those blue skies and, you know, some, you know, greenery behind you. Cause that's, that's not what we have here today. I miss it. <laughs> so thanks guys for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.